Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us and challenge us, that you would call us and invite us, that you would simply be with us. Lord, open up our ears that we might hear in new ways. Open up our hearts and our minds that we might be changed. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, entertainer and humorist Garrison Keillor recalls the childhood pain of being chosen last for the baseball team. The captains are down to their last grudging choices. A slow kid for catcher, someone to stick out in right field where nobody hits the ball. They choose the last ones two at a time. Uh, you and you, because it makes no difference. And the remaining kids, the scrubs, the excess, they deal for us as handicaps. If I take him, then you've got to take him, they say. Sometimes I go as high as sixth, usually lower. But just once, I'd like Daryl to pick me first and say, him, that's the one I want. The skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes, you, come on, you're on my team. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. I wonder if you know what that's like. I wonder if you know what it's like to not be chosen. I wonder if you know what it's like to be chosen. I wonder if you were the one who was the captain, the one doing the choosing. And I wonder if you've ever tried a little harder to either move up in the rankings or to be worthy of being chosen or simply played better because someone believed in you. While we think about that, let me remind you where we are. This summer, we are working our way through the parables of Jesus because one of the primary ways that Jesus taught his disciples how to be disciples was through these little short stories. And remember, I've read this a bunch, but I think it's important. Eugene Peterson's understanding of parables is that this, these brief, commonplace, unpretentious stories are simply thrown into a conversation and land at our feet, compelling notice. That, that's what that word parable literally means, is it's just something thrown alongside of, to which our first response should be, what's that doing there? But that's the challenge of a parable as well. These seem to be stories that, that Jesus just drops along the road, and he then gives us the chance. You can pick it up and enter into the story, or you can just keep walking by and miss the whole point. But remember, the reason Jesus is doing that is, is these are tools. He's trying to change us. In other words, he's asking us to hear these stories, sit with these stories, enter into these stories, and ultimately respond to them. Of course, that doesn't mean that it's easy. It's not easy to understand them or apply them, and it wasn't even then. There's a number of times where Jesus tells a parable, and then the disciples come to him later and say, we don't, we don't understand to make matters even more difficult, they're even harder to understand today because we've become, in some ways, overly familiar with them. 
And therefore, we assume that we already know everything there is that they could possibly be trying to tell us. And so what was designed to have an impact, to, to, to pack a punch, has instead become something in the already learned pile. And therefore, we dismiss it as being basic or trivial or trite. But maybe we could do better. And so we begin today by turning in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Matthew 22, verse 1. This is going to come right on the heels of another parable, which we'll strangely talk about next week. We're going to start with this one, um, but we'll go from there. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, "'The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son.'" He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Amen. Our passage this morning begins with Jesus just kind of launching right into another parable. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, there's a similar parable told during a dinner, uh, and it's a little bit softer than this one. This one's in Matthew. It's happening during Holy Week. Presumably, it's being told to some Pharisees and priests, teachers of the law, among others. And so this one comes with a little bit more, a little bit more heat. That being said, there may be a little bit of grace mixed in here, too, that's easy to miss. So let's take a deeper look. First, let's just try and understand what this parable is saying. And we begin by simply noticing the setup of this parable. This is a wedding banquet for a king's son, which in any local context would have been a very big deal. Presumably marrying an important person, maybe from a prominent family, maybe a noble family, maybe the daughter of a different country's king. And therefore, as one would expect, this would have been a lavish show of wealth and strength. This would have been an extravagant celebration. This would have been the hottest show in town. And to that end, it would have been a who's who of all the important people in the land, the wealthy, the powerful, the connected, the successful, and anyone else the king deemed to show favor towards. So if you were invited, that's a big deal. 
even if you aren't always a big deal. Obviously, in that time and culture, a formal dinner was one of the main places where honor and shame were bestowed and then put on display. Who was invited and who wasn't invited? Who came to the party and who snubbed the invitation? Who is sitting where and with whom and for what reason? And at a party like this, the social and cultural stratification would have been apparent to all. Therefore, the invitations were important. And as Jesus tells this story, it's clear that there's sort of been a double invitation here. One invitation went out earlier to invite people to let them know that the party was happening. They already RSVP'd, yes, I'm going to come. And therefore, this second invitation was simply to let them know that today's the day. Now is the time. It's time for the party. You should show up now. Of course, if you think about it, in most smaller towns back then, that probably wouldn't have been all that necessary. I mean, when the king is throwing a party... That's the kind of event that everyone knows about, which is why the excuses of the guests who suddenly can't come seem so silly, so forced. That's today? I totally forgot about that. This is one of those dates you, that doesn't slip your mind. You don't just forget when the king is throwing a party and you've been invited. You don't lose that kind of an invitation in the mail which means that refusing to come isn't because something better came up or because you forgot or because you're too busy. This is a calculated choice, an intentional decision, a purposeful slap in the face, if not outright sedition. Now again, it feels a little bit like we're reading a little bit extra into this parable, but the reality is that this would have been common context for a story like this. These second invitations go out. The king finds out that those who are invited, who RSVP'd that they're coming, are suddenly not coming. And so he sends his servants out a second time to make sure that the message was heard, to give them a second chance, to let them know that they are still invited, they are still wanted, they are still chosen. This is still important. The feast is ready. The party is now. Come and share in my joy. But some of these invited guests pretend to not hear. They head out to work in their fields or back into their offices, and you can feel some dissonance here. Something more is going on here because the king is throwing a party. His son is getting married, and you have been invited Politically, socially, economically, culturally, there, there's nothing more important than this. And that's when you choose to remember, you know what, I didn't file those TPS reports, I need to send a quick email, I'm not going to make it to the party today, I'm going to run into the office for a little bit first. So the king can wait. Clearly, this is an intentional insult, if not something much worse. And actually, we realize that, that this is something bigger when the wedding guests then kill the messengers, trying to make sure that the king gets this not-so-subtle message. 
That said, this is when we also need to remember that this is a parable because Jesus is not telling the most chronologically consistent story. The king sets the table. He's about to pull the fattened calf out of the oven. The guests don't come, and so he raises his army and sends them to the village and burns the cities to the ground, and then sends the servants back out to invite people to the party. Now, look, I've done enough cooking to know it's hard to get all the dishes done at the same time. But never have I had enough time in between when the appetizer's ready to then raise up an army and send them out and burn a village down and then come back and tell people, now we're ready to eat. Clearly, Jesus is trying to make a point here more than tell a story in sequential order. It's at this point that the king sends his servants back out to invite in everyone, anyone else, and interestingly, Jesus tells it with even the good and the bad both being invited and brought in. Those who you would expect and those you wouldn't. In fact, that's not actually atypical for Jesus' parables. Earlier in Matthew, there's a couple different parables, the parable of the net, the parable of the weeds, where everyone is brought in and then later the bad are separated out. And so maybe implicit in bringing everyone in, the good and the bad, is that there's an expectation of a later kind of culling. Actually, you, you even see that in this parable a little bit as the king comes through his now full wedding hall and finds a man not appropriately attired. Over the years, I've heard it said that banquet clothes would have been provided. And, and while that's possible, uh, from what I've read, there's not actually that much evidence to support that. The issue may not be special clothes. It may simply be he's not wearing nicer clothes at all, or he hasn't cleaned his clothes before you go to a wedding. From the way the story is being told, clearly it was well within the man's ability, not to mention the king's expectation, that the man was able to dress the right way. So whether the king gave him the clothes or whether the king just expected him to you know, wash his clothes. It was well within his ability to do something, and he chose not to, which is why the king is mad. Not because the man was unprepared, but because the man chose to snub his host. Again, notice, by not doing even the bare minimum, you aren't just breaching etiquette. You are intentionally trying to shame your host, who was the one who honored you in the first place by inviting you in, which is why the king then casts this guest out. And Jesus concludes, many are invited and few are chosen. So what does all of it mean? What, what is Jesus doing here? What is he trying to tell us? And to try and figure that out, I want to go back into that story a little bit farther. And I want to talk a little bit more about that banquet, and then I want us to talk about that invitation and even those guests before finally finishing with the host. But it all begins with a banquet, a, a party. Jesus begins this parable by saying the kingdom of God is like a king who's throwing a wedding celebration for his son. So whatever we're talking about, it should be fun, it should be joyful, it should be good. There's something about the kingdom of heaven that is enjoyable. But there's that kingdom word again, the one we've been talking about really all summer long. 
And by now you remember that when we talk about the kingdom, we're not just talking about heaven later. We're talking about something here, something now, something different that is with us. You'll notice the parable is not about receiving an invitation and RSVPing for a party that will happen way in the future, far away up there in clouds. That's not the story being told here. The parable is about a party that is ready now, that the place for the party is here, that the day is today. In other words, this parable isn't about getting our ticket into heaven. Instead, we are being invited into the kingdom of God, which is here and now present. A realm, a way of being, a way of living where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are invited to live in that way even here and now, making this place more like that place. And this is how Jesus is always talking about the faith. The goal is, isn't heaven later, it's living the kingdom of God here and now. And how does Jesus describe this kingdom? What words does he use? What image does he have? Well, it's like a party, which is interesting, probably important, because that's not normally the word that most of us would use to describe how we experience or live out the faith which may beg the question, what are we doing wrong? And that's not to say that Jesus makes it all sound easy or painless. Jesus also talks about how much work it's going to be, also talks about how much persecution there will be, also talks about how much sacrifice and service it will take. And let's not forget, He didn't just talk about those things, He then went all the way to a cross to show it. But that being said, one of the primary images that Jesus uses to talk about the kingdom, it's like a banquet. It's like a celebration. It's like a party. Of course, if there's a party, then there's also guests. There's also invitations. And this seems to be the important part of the parable, as if Jesus doesn't want us to miss the party. And so we see what lengths he goes to to get those invitations out. In our parable, the king has already sent an initial invitation out, but then he sends out his servants three different times. And even when his invitations are met with apathy and aggression, he still sends them out again to invite more people in. Of course, an invitation invites a response. And this is also where we start to feel a little bit of an edge in this story, because there's some urgency to it, a priority about it, as if apparently this is important, that this matters. Maybe we do feel some judgment in this parable because we know how often we spurn God's call in our own lives, how often we choose our own priorities, how often we go our own way. And of course, in those moments that we decline the invitation, it means that we're missing out on the party. Just as conversely, as we respond to the invitation, it implies that we are joining in the celebration in the kingdom even now. But you have to choose. It seems like part of Jesus' point is that this requires a response. 
to join the party or to sit out, to be with God or to keep our distance, to live in God's kingdom or to choose my kingdom. And as we've been talking about, it's not just about something we are doing for the future, it's something that we are doing for today. Because the party is now, the party is here. But this means we may need to learn how to reprioritize because we have a lot of other pursuits. Which is also why in this parable, all those excuses seem to fall so flat. Being unready, undecided, unwilling, those aren't sufficient excuses. The king's throwing a party. What's more, this isn't just about a decision on a Sunday. This also means that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a party on a Tuesday or on a Saturday. It's Whether you're free or whether you're busy, whether you're driving, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're trying to get things done, the party is now. The kingdom is here. How do we respond? That said, the larger point is the important one. Those who are hearing this parable have been invited, which means you have been invited to be a part of the kingdom. You've been invited to celebrate with the king. You have been invited into a different way of life in the here and now because God chooses you. How do you respond? We're still missing something. And really, this is the most important part, because as much as we can see this parable being about judgment or about the kingdom, as much as we can see it about being the banquet or about the invitations, in all of this, we're still maybe missing the main point. Because remember how the parable begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. The kingdom of heaven is like a king. Maybe the point of this parable isn't the banquet or the invitations. Maybe it's not about the servants or about the party or about the guests. Maybe the point of this parable is about the host. Because much more than just being invited to a party, the real message of this parable is that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who's throwing a party which means the real invitation is to be in proximity with and relationship to the king. That's what we're being invited to. In other words, maybe we're getting it wrong when we focus on where of the faith, heaven, or the what of the faith, what we have to do, because maybe the point is the who of the faith. Maybe it's all about the king, who has come to us and invited us to be with Him. Which then invites us to live out the faith in an entirely different way. It means we live out the kingdom not because we're trying to earn or deserve our seat at the table. That's already been taken care of. It means we're trying to continually move closer to the host, to be responsive to the host, to be worthy of the host. Because it's the host that has invited us in and included us in and brought us into the celebration, to his party, to his kingdom. Which has profound ramifications for how we then think about and live out our faith. And that's why this is so important. 
if the goal is simply only getting into the party, then as long as we have our invitation, nothing else matters. But clearly that's not what's at issue in this parable. Instead, the goal is the response of how we respond to the summons of the king. It's how we move towards the king. It's how we learn to celebrate with the king. Because ultimately, it's the king who calls. It's the king who invites. It's the king who wants you and chooses you and brings you into his party, which is good news. Let's pray. Lord God, you know that too often we are like those party guests that come up with all manner of excuse why we don't want to be with you. And yet you invite us, and you invite us, and you invite us, and you call us, and you send your servants out again and again and again to bring us in. Because you want to celebrate with us. Because you include us. Because you choose us. Lord, help us to see our faith differently. Less as a destination to go to or a list of things we have to do and more about you, the host, the king. Lord, stir in us such a heart for you that our faith becomes a celebration. Lord, we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.